I'm so excited to talk to you guys about today's sponsor, Pros. Pros is the custom beauty brand that is all over your feed. I had been wanting to try them for so long. And when I tell you guys that I put on my Instagram story that they were going to be sponsoring the podcast, I got so many genuine organic responses from my following of people being like, oh my God, I love Pros. I've been using it for years. So don't even just take it from me, but take it from the genuine people that reached out agreeing with me about how much they love Pros. And when Pros says custom, they actually mean it. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. One of the coolest parts of the questionnaire that I thought was they literally asked me about my location and my zip code so that they could understand how hard the water is here, what the UV index is like, if it's cold, if it's dry, and all of that goes into these truly personalized products. Pros even did a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, and Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. So try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering the Artie Friends listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at pros, P-R-O-S-E dot com slash Artie Friends. That's pros.com slash Artie Friends for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash Artie Friends. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Already Friends. This is Kara. And this is Allison. And we have two very special guests that are extremely close to us, both in proximity (laughs) and to our hearts. We have Clay and Connor. How's it going, everybody? What's up? If you don't know, Clay and Connor are our respective boyfriends. Connor is my boyfriend. Clay is Allison's. Both start to see. Both great guys. So we have some great topics that we're going to talk with them about and so many topics that we decided to split it up into two episodes. So right now is part one of this conversation and next week we'll drop part two. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, I think we're going to hop right into mine and Kara's peak of the week. I actually have a solid peak of the week for like the first time ever because Clay on Saturday night set us up with like a little surprise picnic. Um, We went out. Actually, I'm not going to say where we went because it's like a diamond in the rough and I'd like to keep it that way. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Yeah, I know. Every time (laughs) I tell someone then I like start seeing it on their stories and I'm like, why did I ever open my mouth? It's going to become like overrun. And right now it's like so serene and amazing, but it's semi-close to Omaha. So we like drove out there. We were the only people there. Pretty much had like the whole park to ourselves. Got to watch the sunset. I don't know, probably two to three hour before the sun went down. It was so delightful and we like didn't look at our phones the whole time and 
took some books and it was perfect. Really great Saturday night. What about you, Kara? <laughs> hey, um, my peak of the week, I got to see my friend Libby. Libby's one of my friends from high school who lives in St. Louis. And, you know, Omaha people living in St. Louis is far and few between. So got to connect with her on Saturday. We got drinks, hung out, and hadn't seen her since April. So it was good. It was a really fun evening. And yeah, I love hanging out with my high school BFF. Love that. Okay, now we have so many peak of the week to choose from. You guys have really been sending in a lot of entries. We have majorly leveled up from when we first started doing this <laughs> and had like five responses. Now we've got a lot to choose from. Um, and in honor of this being a two-part series, we're going to have Connor and Clay share their peak of the week on the next episode. So keep listening for that one. Yes. Ooh, um, I like this one from Paige P. She got a scholarship and her passport came in the mail. I feel like that would feel really good to get those two documents locked in because I'm sure a lot of work and time went into applying for those scholarships and I'm sure that was a big relief off of her shoulders to get that. Yeah. And congrats, Paige. That's awesome. Congratulations. I'm going to do... Rachel H. said, driving 11 hours to Nashville to surprise my best friend for her birthday. That's so fun. That's a really nice friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a long way to drive. Dang. That is crazy. That's probably like the max I would do. 11 hour drive by myself. So have the best time. Any more than that, there's not good enough friends for you? <laughs> That's just, <laughs> I did a 13 hour drive once on myself in one day and that was horrible. Never again. <laughs> All right. I'll, know, meet you, yeah. I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, Thanks, Rachel, dude. safe travels if you're leaving after this episode comes out. Yeah. All right. So today's topic is mostly going to be centered around sobriety, but we didn't want to just phrase it as like sober. We also wanted to include like sobriety slash choosing not to drink slash sober curious slash just toning down the substances, whether that's alcohol, maybe it's pills for you, maybe that's weed, just living like a clean and more sober state. I would say, because Karen and I were talking about this before we hopped on and societally, we feel like if you just say you're sober, immediately people jump to think like, oh, you had a major drinking problem and then you like got a DUI and then you had to go to AA and now you're sober. And there's like a ton of people that choose to stop drinking or limit their drinking for a whole slew of other reasons that are not just that not as intense, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so we wanted to start the episode with all four of ours relationship with alcohol, kind of why we toned down our drinking or what it was like beforehand or our current state. And yeah, I think Kara was going to start, right? Yeah. I just wanted to add, we thought bringing on our boyfriends would be perfect for this because they both have a really good story around this topic. And we just thought it was really appropriate. Um, and you'll hear why once they share their kind of their background with it. So yeah, I think I can hop into my relationship with drinking, which is funny because <laughs> me and Allison hopped on the phone before this. And I'm like, I've never been the biggest drinker in any situation or group I'm in. But I think right now I'm the one that's drinking the most out of all four of us, which is so funny because I'm totally like the grandma of every friend group or just like the mom, like drinks the least, takes care of everyone, never have been like, I don't know. I like partying, I guess, I like going out, but I've just never been like the drunkest in any situation. Maybe my 21st birthday because Connor's eyes yeah, are like, oh, like, um, like, you were the drunkest there. Yeah. <laughs> you won the ribbon. 
It was puke. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe that was my moment where I was like, okay, did it once, <laughs> never again. So yeah, my relationship with drinking is totally social. I love networking. I love being someone who meets up with people for drinks and stuff. So I'll have like a drink or two, but like, I don't really go out anymore. It's just not my jam. I don't know. I feel like I just have so much going on all the time. I'd rather just like stay in. And what me and Allison were talking about even earlier was, which I'm sure you'll talk about, but like the people that work staying in on the weekends helps me get up early in the mornings and like do all the things I want to do. So yeah, that's about it for me. And maybe I'll add more throughout the conversation, but I'm the most boring with like this whole topic. So there you're the go. most responsible, I would say. <laughs> I mean, honestly, Connor is kind of this way too, but now you're like way more strict with yourself. So I feel like, do you want to give your background of kind of like, what's your relationship with drinking? Why you don't really drink as much anymore? Yeah. I mean, like, I guess I've never been a big drinker either, but it seems like it health problems and like food allergies are the reason I don't mainly. I just like my system is so sensitive when it comes to like the wrong substance, whether that be like processed food or, or alcohol or any kind of, my body just doesn't process it the same way. And like, it seems anxiety and things like that. I used to like be anxious about things and I would be like, why am I anxious? There's no reason. I'd just be like, there's, you know, it just is what it is. I'm just anxious. And it happens once in a blue moon and you just get five days by. And I started to think about it. I'm like, it was directly correlated to when I would drink. And then like, for five days later, I would just be like really anxious and it would just disappear. And I was like, oh, well, that's the reason why. And then you cut it and you feel better. And then it's like, why would I go back to feeling that way? And then once you kind of hit that, when your brain and your body just like feels like it's functioning and you're sharp and you're on and you just don't ever want to go back to being off. So that's just kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah. And anxiety is real. <laughs> that was like yeah. a big realization for you. But then do you want to kind of share like how much you drink now or like what are your kind of internal rules for drinking? Like my relationship with drinking now. I mean, I would say it's once in a blue moon. It's mainly like networking for work. It's just hard to be in sales and not I trying to get better at it. But I still think, you know, a couple beers once in a once a month or once every couple months is probably the extent of it. It's also like so many people still work from home. And then when I'm like working at the office all day and driving around and then get home on Friday. It's the last thing I want to do is go to the bar. I just want to like hang out with you and my dog and relax, <laughs> not, not waste a Saturday. By the way, if you hear Margot, it's cause she's right next to us. And I usually leave her with Connor when we're recording the podcast downstairs. If you hear barking or whining, that's her. <laughs> she just wanted to be here with us. Yes. She's part of the fam. She wants to be on the episode. But she yeah. has a healthy relationship with drinking as well. <laughs> yeah. Very proud of she's her. been sober her whole life. <laughs> I would say I probably take the cake for being like the most abusive to alcohol, seeing as I ran a bar nightclub for four years. So it is uh, safe to say that I have had my fair share of drinking and partying and festivals and concerts and happy hours. And I probably started drinking when I was like 15, like super young. I was a pretty bad high school kid, honestly. And looking at Clay, Clay and I were, I don't know how much we talk about this on this podcast, but Clay and I <laughs> dated for a little bit in high school for like a year. And we were both like the rebellious athletes. Like we kind of teetered the line between hanging out with like the bad kids, but still being like very athletic. So we like never really got in big trouble, but we're definitely like in the party scene. I was um, a bad kid. 
Like, <laughs> I know we always rate on a scale of one to 10, what we were. I was a 10. <laughs> I'm like, no, maybe like a been, nine. I might've been an 11. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you can have your turn to talk about how terrible you were in one second. <laughs> I don't think you guys want to know those stories. Um, with me. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. What? I haven't gone to the extent of my, my issues Sorry, here. I wasn't trying to cut you off. I mean, are you, I thought you were maybe for the everyone. over. Maybe for everyone's benefit, I'll stop talking. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I just like drank a lot up until currently I'm 26. And I would say I drank at least bare minimum once a week from age 15 to 25. There were like a few since in there where I would do like a dry January or a sober September. But pretty much my whole lifestyle was built around like going out or having a glass of wine at the end of the night or trying new craft beers or meeting up with almost all my friends that seemed like drank. And then I would say the pandemic is when I was like, okay, this is not normal because we were at home so much. And then I would just be like, okay, it's noon. Guess we're having a beer. And then all of a sudden I was like, no, we're not like time to cut this out. So then I started going longer periods. First I tried 30 days then I tried 60, then I tried 90 and then Clay kind of got on board with it. Then we started doing more fitness programs and kind of like Connor said, but I realized my anxiety was just sky high. Like that's probably the number one mental thing I would say keeps me from ever wanting to go back to doing it. Definitely like the insides for my health, but my anxiety was just so bad. Anxiety about what I did or things I said or things I missed or sleeping in or not performing well all around. But yeah, we'll get more into that. And so I would, I'm going to hand the torch off to Clay now. Now the mic's being handed off. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, with myself and in the spirit of what Allison said, when she started it off, you know, sobriety doesn't just include alcohol. I think a lot of people jump right to that and think like, oh, you're sober. You must've had a drinking problem. Um, I by no means did not drink a lot. Uh, but my vice, the thing that I always had an issue with was smoking weed. I started smoking when I was, I think 14 years old, maybe 15 freshman year, I think. No, it was 14. So very young. And I proceeded to do it almost on a daily basis for 10 years. And the thing that is crazy about it is everybody thinks that you have to have like these huge problems in order to decide to go sober. But like, no, I was an incredibly functional weed addict is what I'll call myself. You know, I'm not ashamed of it. It's, it's who I was. Um, and I'm not that anymore. So, but I, Played high school football, um, got good grades, went on to play division one college football and got my degree, did it all while literally smoking multiple times on a day-to-day basis. So that's just kind of how I live my life. And now that I'm not doing it anymore, uh, it, it gives me the perspective of looking back and really realizing how much potential I cut for myself. And it's one of those things where like I wake up and I just think about that, not on a day-to-day basis, but when I do think about that. Like it just really pisses me off to think if I could gain 10 years of life back in the mindset that I'm in now, you know, light years ahead of where I would be at in terms of mental clarity, in terms of success, in terms of financial ability, it's incomprehensible. And that's what just makes me so annoyed. And that's why I think about that. And I'm like, no, there's, there's not a chance that I would ever want to go back to that. Cause I was just living in a perpetual brain fog. I was just like a zombie floating through life. And now that I'm not doing it anymore and I can think clearly and have thoughts for myself, opinions for myself. I used to just always go with the flow, but now I kind of create my own flow. So yeah, I'm very proud of you. We have come a long way from 15 year old us. (laughs) That's fact. (laughs) But I think this is good because I feel like we all come from 
very different angles of this. And mm-hmm. I would think anyone out there listening probably resonates most closely to one of us, which is good. We can kind of come at it from all sides. Heck yeah. Yeah. And I love this conversation because one, I feel like every media we consume is so pro drinking. So it's just cool to get a different perspective. And it's definitely not us saying like, oh, you guys need to not drink anymore. It's just more like being curious about the topic and just like reevaluating your relationship with alcohol or drugs or whatever you are consuming and just like thinking about it. And yeah, having an open conversation with yourself or just with like your partner or whoever. So that's kind of what we're hoping to do the next 30 minutes. And yeah, I agree. Cause I think like you just said, everything on the media is so pro drinking and our whole society is like obsessed with drinking at every event, every meal, every sporting event. So I think we're here just to kind of shed light on the opposite side that if you are someone who doesn't drink or is curious about not drinking or not smoking, that's okay. And it mm-hmm. should be normal. And another thing that I wanted to say too, was when I posted my Q and a box on my personal story about sober, I had a lot of people comment and said like, I'm not sober, but I'm very respectful of anyone who is and would never question their decision. And I think that's something we wanted to shed light on is, you know, if you go to a bar, you're not going to go up to anyone and say, so why are you drinking today, Matt? It's a hard day at work. Uh, just wanted to escape your problems. Like you would never go up and ask people why they are drinking. So something I would say, our next thing I want to talk about is like the toughest part of being stay- sober is why I kind of feel like I get berated and asked all the time. Like it's a bad thing that I'm choosing not to like play into the rules of drinking we're like, why aren't you drinking? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm not asking you why you are drinking. Should we, maybe we should discuss why you are drinking. Cause I'm not the one that's like not facing my problems right now. That would be you, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's something that Connor gets asked constantly. So did you want to talk about that? Because as someone who works in sales, a huge part of sales is drinking and networking at happy hours. And whenever you don't pick up a drink, do you get questions like that? Yeah. I mean, definitely. It's, it's like, it's, and it's hard to hide it too, you know, especially around people that if you slow sip it, people notice it. Even if you're trying to like water plants, people notice it. It's just hard to like, there's been times there's like, you go to the bathroom and just like pour some out in the urinal. I've done it before. And it's like nothing to a point where it's like, it's nothing to do with not wanting to be drunk or getting drunk or that I had a problem. It's nothing to do with that. I just know that when I wake up in the morning that I'm going to suffer these repercussions for just like brain wise and just nothing feels worse than like Clay was saying, having that fog in your head and not feeling sharp. And I feel like I'm a step behind everyone instead of being on the ball and a step ahead. And just it's long term positive consequences that you just it's hard to avoid it. You know, I don't have all the answers of especially how to avoid it in happy hours. I mean, I I struggle with it at times, too. It just depends. Is your go-to just getting water now and just pretending? Isn't that what you told me the other week? Yeah, you get water, put a lime in it, or I'll get a beer and, you know, use a napkin and just not drink it, just sip it. <laughs> but most of the, I mean, most people are pretty respectful if, if you say not. It's, I think that's the probably the best way to do it is just to be a little open about it. That's what I was just going to ask. Have you ever just tried to implement that tactic of like never being not willing to go to happy hour? Be like, yeah, obviously that's your job. You're, you're trying to make the sale. But I think a lot of people would respect that and appreciate it, especially from a sales perspective of somebody just being like, hey, this is me. I'm just coming up out front. Like, I just don't drink anymore because I don't like the way that it makes me feel the way the next morning when I wake up, you know? Yeah. And I think I deflect a lot. I think it just 
coming up with different things to do. Like I'll say, let's grab coffee, you know, yeah. let's, let's do this or, you know, let's go for a walk. You know, that's a big one right now that people, people just want to get out of the house and get some vitamin D. It's like, Hey, let's, you know, what are you doing? Let's go for a walk and talk and other things I think is the best way, but yeah, that's a good point. Deflect. What do you think is the hardest part about not drinking or I guess not smoking on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. For me, it was just such a, for such a long time, such a quintessential part of my life. And like, I'd say that because it was like, it was one of those things where it was like, I couldn't imagine going a day without smoking because I told myself, I lied to myself that like, well, I'm doing everything. I'm getting everything done. Like this isn't affecting me, you know? And it just became such a habit that even though now that I've like broken that habit, it's never going to be gone. And nor do I really want it to be gone because it keeps me on my toes. You know, it, it keeps that thought in the forefront of my mind. So every day, like if I have a really stressful day, that would always be my go-to would be like, Oh man, today just really beat me down. Like I'm feeling sore. Some terrible things happened at work. I'm really stressed out. Like I just can't wait to get home and sit on the couch, put on some music or play some video games and smoke a joint, you know? And that is always going to be there. It's still there to this day. And as I said, it will never go away, but nor do I ever want it to go away. But I constantly have to have that battle in my head of being like, no, dude, this is, this is why you don't do it because you know where you are now, you know where you were then. And you just always have to, you know, win that battle essentially. So. Yeah. And I think that's not really much different than drinking too, because the temptation is always there. There's always going to be, you know, wine being poured while you're like having some pasta. You're going to be out with your friends and like you are going to have to make the decision over and over and over again for the rest of your life to either participate or not participate. It's not like just a one-time decision. Though I did in the book, um, Quit Like a Woman, one of my favorite things she said was like willpower is only needed if you don't want to do something. So once you can like get to that point where you're like, actually, I don't really want to drink anymore. You don't have to use your willpower. You just have made the decision and- Love that. Isn't that good? Yeah. Because- So true. You know, you, I need willpower currently to go to the gym. I have to think about it all the time, (laughs) but you need zero willpower to go to the gym. You're Mm -hmm. just like, I want to go. So- Yeah. Decisions already made. Yeah. Well, once something's formed as a habit, you know, like- you have to consciously think about it, but yeah, it's not taking that like extra strenuous effort from your head to be like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's just like, I, I don't need to say that to myself because I don't, I don't want, want to do it. Yeah. And when you rephrase that in your head, is it more of like, I want to wake up early tomorrow, so I'm not going to stay out late drinking or how do you rephrase that and to be something you want to do where you don't need willpower? Are you asking me? Or just either of you. Because I know Allison's really good with that. Kind of like the reframing your brain to like want to do something. So I was just curious how you would put that in this light. I think I always think about what is actually gained too. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, maybe you don't want initially to go to the gym, but what are you gaining from going to the gym? It's like, do I want to feel like I got a good sweat in? Do I want to feel like proud of myself? Do I not want to feel like a lazy slime ball today? Yes. So we're not going to think about like going to the gym. We're going to think about the benefits received or like maybe you don't want to make the bed, but you want a bed that's made or fresh laundry. Maybe you don't want to pick up all the clothes on your floor, but you want to look across at your room and have everything be nice and clean. So focusing less on like the actual activity that you have to do and focusing on the result that you're going to gain from it. Yeah. I kind of look at it as growing up in sports my entire life, you know, uh, habits are made through repetition. And I think everybody has a different way of like different number, but you know, it takes like 10,000 reps to do something in order to make it a habitual habit in your head. And the terrible thing about habits is they're incredibly hard to build, but they're very like for a positive habit, they're incredibly hard to build, but they're very easy to break. 
And I just know my own mentality of I've gone I numerous times, 10 or 15, 20, 25, 30. I have no idea how many times, but like I've made an attempt to quit smoking because I knew that it wasn't good for me and I would like be pretty successful with it. And then it would be like that reward system. Like, oh, I went a month without doing it. Okay. Like, yeah, I was just, this, this is my reward. I'll smoke today. And then the next day it would just be like, well, I smoked yesterday. So I guess I should, I can smoke again today. And it would just slip immediately back or into it. Or only doing so, it the weekends or only doing it after 8 PM or yeah. like all these conditions. You just give yourself, you're just giving yourself an excuse to continue to do it. And that terrifies me because I know how easy it is for me to fall into it. So that's kind of like how I rephrase it of like, I'm at the point where I genuinely don't want to do it, but you know, it's potential that one time that I do, then all of a sudden that, that mental conditioning that I've given myself is just gone. And the next day, you know, I'm back to square one after making a hundred strides that that's just an awful thought to me. So Connor, was it tough for you at all to give up drinking or was it kind of easy? No. And I think that, I mean, I wouldn't say gave up drinking. I just, the frequency in which I do it is going back to the point. It's like if networking events, like maybe I'll do one every couple months instead of once a week or something like that when it involves drinking. And, you know, maybe it sounds cruddy to say, but if I don't have, if it's on a Friday, I'm more likely to have one beer at a networking event than I would be on a Tuesday just because I don't have to get up and be on at work the next day. And like, it's just kind of those pros and cons, like what you guys were saying, what is the advantage of this? What's the disadvantage? And you just weigh it in your head. But I'd never, I never care. Like I wouldn't say it just, I just like to feel good. And especially with my allergies and what I've been through, like food wise, I mean, I haven't had simple sugar in two years. So at what kind of point do you like processed sugar, I should say like two years, what kind of point do you get? Like, I won't eat ice cream, but I'll drink beer. Like beer's not good for yeah, you. So what, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I just remember telling Kara, I'm like, I eat the same thing every single day, pretty much like, what's it going to be harder just to cut alcohol out? And it's really not when you put it into that kind of perspective. Yeah. And just background for our listeners about Connor, I think what your senior year of college, you found out you're allergic to like 30 foods. My senior year in college, I choked, I used to eat Chick-fil-A once a week and I choked on a piece of chicken. This isn't funny, but it kind of is. It was actually like life threatening. Like I couldn't breathe. My face turned purple. My sister-in-law usually comes home for work. Like I was living with my brother. She texted me and said she wasn't going to come home. I tried to call Kara, but I was gagging. So I couldn't talk. And then I gave myself the Heimlich over a chair. And I was like, I guess I'll finish my chicken nuggets. <laughs> Push this <laughs> off for the next week. But I did it. I choked again in Omaha on, on McDonald's. And I like didn't eat fast food very often is the funny part. But I just, my throat never constricted and never opened back up. So I couldn't eat popcorn and swallow it. Like I lost 50 pounds. Yes. You found out these allergies. A lot of people get allergies in their stomach and you had these allergen cells in your throat. So anytime you would eat something that would trigger it, it would make your throat close. So when you said you choked, your throat was literally literally the size of like what? Like small. If you put your hand in a fist, you know, like it was basically that size. (laughs) So very that small. Is so scary. It's terrifying yeah. to know that you were by yourself when that happened too, man. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't even like, know how to give myself the Heimlich. Yeah. I don't know. It's like one of those things when it's happening, you just do it. And most of the time it doesn't get into your windpipe. So you're okay. Like it, it, you can still breathe, but I like try to drink water to flush it down. And that's when it like just the water wouldn't go down. That's when I knew it was a little bit more serious, but you kind of just, I don't know. What'd you do? You threw yourself over a chair, right? Yeah. I just like kept hitting myself on a chair. So yeah. That's terrifying. And okay. So you know, yeah, 
that's why you're so strict on not eating those things. Cause you're like, yeah, I'm not trying to go through that again. And I went to like a, I had to get endoscopies four times. And like every time they do it, they stretch it out. I mean, I was miserable. Like then it would just, my whole chest would hurt and they would find like polyps down my throat and my stomach. And they'd have to send them off to a lab to make sure they're not cancer. And you know, they're like, most of the time these are benign, but you have to wait a week, even though, you know, those things run through your head. And then the guy said that I would have to do it every single day or once a year for the rest of my life, I would have to go in and get an endoscopy. Which is where they literally take a machine to stretch your throat. They put you under, take a machine, and it expands inside your throat to stretch it. And at this point, you actually didn't know you were allergic to foods. What They just didn't know what was causing it. Is that right? Yeah, they, they told me I was allergic to food and that I had acid reflux. So they put me on a protein pump inhibitor called omeprazole, which is effective, but they don't tell you what the long-term effects of it are. And it's actually someone from Omaha told me, he's like, you know, like this is increases the risk of like dementia and and stuff if you stay on it long-term. So then long story short, you found a doctor that was like, no, you don't need to get these machines. Like you don't need to have these horrible drugs. You just need to change your diet. You just need to cut out all these foods. It's going to be really strict. But like, if you do this and you don't have to have your throat swelling up and he cut out like corn, beans, like literally so many foods. I think it's like, what, 30? It's yeah, it's a lot. And it's a lot. Now he doesn't have a stretch throat <laughs> or he doesn't have to get his throat stretched. But I guess the point of this whole story, that's Connor's background. But yeah. What led me down to the whole point of the story was if, if I'm cutting all that out to feel better, it's like, why don't you go one more step? wasn't the, it's not the alcohol that was hard for me to cut out. It was like everything else. It's just so overwhelming. It feels like you can't find this information like you're saying out because everyone's so pro alcohol and pro, like I have a harder time turning down lunches. Like I don't want to go out and eat lunch with people. Like I'm terrified of what I'm going to eat, you know? So just once you're at that point in time, you just know what it's like to feel good and you don't want to go back to feeling like shit. Yeah. So that was Connor's story. And you know, with this next episode we have on the part two, we're going to talk about healthy eating, healthy lifestyles. And I think those allergies, that kind of whole story will tie back more into that. So, but I think with all that sad, (laughs) the hardest parts of being sober, I think we just wanted to do a quick touch base on why sobriety has made a positive impact in our lives and like the best parts about being sober or just being sober curious, drinking less, um, which Connor and Clay both already said, like you just lose that brain fog, which I never even realized brain fog was a thing. I don't know about you guys. Like I, once you like realize that you can get like that from drinking or eating unhealthily, once you get back to having that clear brain, you just never want to feel like that again. Um, so for me, like drinking less, I feel like I definitely feel that too. Like having a sharp mind. Um, I don't know about you guys. What's some of your favorite benefits? I would say something I used to tell Clay this back when I was drinking, I would have phantom hangover mornings, like, cause I would drink so often that almost every day I was like used to waking up with even like a slight hangover and I would get hungover even from like a glass of wine. Like I, my body was just got really sensitive the older I got and there would be nights that like, I definitely didn't even drink the night before. And the next morning I would wake up and be like, oh, like I'm tired or like I have like alcohol breath or whatever. And I would like think like, damn, better just kind of like hit snooze or whatever. Cause you're like hungover. And then I would, I would snap awake kind of out of that like zone where you're half awake, you know, and be like, what the F I didn't even drink last night. So I was like, so conditioned to waking up feeling like shit that my I just would. And that's when I think I kind of got like freaked out and was like, yeah, 
I don't think that it's more normal to wake up expecting to feel terrible. That should be once in a blue moon. You, you can, even had like some conscious times, like you were awake and had been like, we we're making breakfast in the morning. You're just like, gosh, I just feel so hungover right now. Like, I can't believe I drank last night. And it was like, maybe we sat inside and watched a movie last night. When you're talking about, you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even drink last night. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. And it was like a very huge realization moment for you. Yeah. I don't know. It was really weird. I've never even heard of anyone else having that, but that whole thing just looped in with anxiety or even I would have a conversation and let's say, I mean, I'm pretty out there with like my opinions or whatever, especially over the last year. If I was drinking, then I would get anxiety that I like went too far, only stated like my real thoughts, like because I'd had a drink or something. But now I know that even if I like say something or don't reply to someone or whatever, it's all with a sober mind. And like I have full self-awareness. So if I'm doing something or not doing something, it's true to character. So there's no like, oh, that only happened because of like stuff in my system. Yeah. Being very, very present in your own body. And I constantly reference Quit Like a Woman, but I truly would just recommend that book for anyone who is more curious about this. And she states like any addiction is truly just a lack of self-awareness. Like I really don't think you can be fully self-aware. And I even, it's all back to the clarity and brain fog. If I look at the last 10 years, I'm like, that girl was just like, she was killing it. Kind of like how you were like, you can be killing it and still be drinking and smoking, but you're not really like present in that self-aware because every time you do those activities, you're taking yourself out of the present moment. Yeah. I think the biggest benefit is like confidence and self-esteem because man, as you said, like you can be functional but I think that any anybody's like ultimate goal in life is like, just be the best version of yourself that you can be. And it's super easy to say like, I'm doing this and this and this, I am being the best version of myself. But I just implore anybody who is curious about it, even if you're the slightest bit curious about it, like just give it a try and see exactly what it does for you. Cause I'm telling you, you might think that you're your best version of yourself right now, but when you start cutting out those toxic things, you realize exactly how much more potential that you have. And like with me, it just incredibly boosted my self-confidence. Cause I was always like, this is a habit that I'm never going to be able to kick. You know, it was like my Achilles heel and guess what? I kicked it. I stopped it. And it was just the biggest win that I have ever felt in my life, bigger than any other achievement that I'd ever had. And that just started to permeate kind of into everything that I did. And once you start feeling that and gaining momentum and you're feeling confidence in this aspect, and then it permeates into aspect number two, and then it just starts like a little train and you get, you switch your addiction essentially from the substance that you had, whether you think you had an addiction to it or not. And that addiction turns into like an addiction to success or addiction to self-confidence. And once you kind of like hit that stride, it doesn't really stop. It's really hard to stop that momentum. So that's the biggest benefit to me. I mean, it's it's literally done light years in terms. I was so good about, even if I did something of an accomplishment, like I'm, as with anybody, like I'm my own worst enemy and I would just find a way to be like, well, but you didn't do it as good as you could have, you know, I'd like find a way to berate myself even when I would do something good. And I just never do that anymore. It's liberating, really. Piggybacking off that a lot, I will say another reason is all the hopes and dreams I ever had for myself Drinking was like always the one thing that was getting in the way of that. Like I would get anxiety like, okay, now I found Clay. He's this amazing guy. Like the I knew the only thing I could ever do to mess our relationship up would be like get blackout drunk and like cheat on you or like cause a fight and do something terrible. But like in a sober head, I would never do anything to sabotage our relationship mm-hmm. or like 
with my business, like the only way I could ever run new wave into the ground or like say something that I didn't want to say or whatever would be if I was like super hungover and like couldn't open the store, said the wrong thing online or accidentally was logged into new waves account when I thought I was on mine or, Oh, I want to run a marathon. Well, I can't because I got drunk and fucking broke my knee. Like I did or not broke my knee, but I chipped a bone in my knee in college. Like every goal I have for myself in life is like on the other side of drinking and Now I'm so confident that I can literally do anything I want because I don't have the number one thing in my life that was holding me back. Did you all like equate your brain fog or like anxiety to drinking or weed or did it take like just in my experience? Like I never thought that my anxiety was from drinking until like one day, like it took me literally like probably six years to realize like this happens every five days after I drink. And I just wonder how many people don't realize that that's the problem. Like, even if you, like I said, I don't think I have a problem by any means, but just mentally it it affected other parts of my life. And unfortunately for me, and I think a lot of people, it takes a serious health issue to kind of look at yourself and start forecasting into the future. Because at 21, 22, 23, you know, years old, you just don't have to think that way for the most part. Yeah, I would agree. As you start growing up, you realize like you're not the indestructible 21 year old thought you were. You get tired, like drinking takes you out. You have responsibilities and it does. I feel like the minute I graduated was when all of that kind of snapped into awareness. And with you saying you kind of noticed it was five days, that's kind of goes to show that you weren't drinking all that often because you could kind of notice that five day pattern. But if you were someone who didn't go five days without drinking, aka me, or you didn't go five days without smoking, then the entire time is just a fog. So there's not like the fog starts and then it lifts mm-hmm. and then it starts and the lifts. It's just there the whole time. Yeah. I think a lot of people too are just like, I don't know if scared is the right word, but like very uneasy to give up something. Cause like everybody, whether it's whatever vice that you have, like you do it for a reason. Um, whether it's like a subconscious childhood trauma or just plain an addiction, you know, like there is a reason that we resort to using substances because all the science is out there. It's not good for you from a mental standpoint, from a physical standpoint, like there's no positive benefit from any of these things yet. We still continue to do it. So like, there's gotta be a reason that's there to do it. And I think a lot of people like know that deep down, but whether it's social stigmas or, you know, just like the fear of giving up something that they genuinely enjoy to do, I think that just is always something that reverts them back into their, their same old routine. Cause like we, as humans, we're, we're perpetual humans of habit and it takes a lot of hard work and dedication in order to break a habit, especially something that's like a, a, a dependency on any type of a substance. Um, so I think a lot of people like, no, like I knew that's why I tried so many times to, to quit that bad habit, but I just always found a way to convince myself to get back into it, you know? Or I think right off like that it is okay is kind of how for me with drinking, nothing super bad ever happened. It's kind of like Connor was saying, you know, I didn't have this like major problem or like didn't get a DUI or, you know, royally fuck up my life or whatever, but it does in little bits all the time. And so if you're like, oh, I only did this because I was drinking. It's like, that's still you though. Like, yeah, you were on a mind altering substance, but you like, that's still the same human being who was responsible for those actions that like went through that. Like, just cause you blacked out and you don't remember it. It still happened. You still did it. And I don't even know where I'm going with that, but just relieving yourself from that burden. is very freeing. Yeah, totally agree. And oh. I mean, we could keep going on with so many perks 
I can't even I list a mile long. <laughs> yeah. And I think I mentioned to Allison, we're going to link some good books and resources in the show notes. So you can check those out for more benefits, but let's get into our Q and a, we put up a story on our Instagram at Rorty friends. If you don't follow us, go give us a follow. We do your peak of the weeks on there. So if you want to be featured as a peak of the week, make sure you're following, but we also put up a Q and a for questions about sobriety questions about living a healthy lifestyle. So we're going to answer all those sobriety questions right now. Allison, do you want to read the first question from our listener? Yeah, I think this one is huge. It's what to do if one partner likes to drink and the other doesn't. And I think for the terms of this podcast, you could say either likes to drink slash smoke weed and the other doesn't, because I think that's just as prevalent if one person's a smoker and you're not. Mm-hmm. It can be hard to understand the other side. Does any does that jump out at anyone that wants I mean, to answer Connor that? I mean, Connor started laughing because I feel like that's kind of our situation right now. So what do you want to say? I don't know. I guess I'm a type of person that just, I'm not affected by you drinking because it's not like you have a problem either. So I don't, yeah. it doesn't bother me. Like I'm, as long as you're fine with the health, like I, I just, as long as I feel good and you, you know. I think the biggest don't tip. Don't pressure me. Like that yeah. that's the biggest thing. It's like if that partner's like, hey, I'm going drinking. You never do anything fun. You have to go out with me. I think that's when it becomes an issue. But I have no problem if you want to go out with your friends and have a happy hour. Like I don't, it doesn't affect my like mental health. Yeah. And first tip that came to my mind was like, we don't even have alcohol at our house. And if we do, well, I guess it's just us. Like we don't ever drink it, but. I think if someone is a partner that likes to drink and the other doesn't want to drink or is like taking it very seriously, I think you just set a rule where you just don't have any alcohol in your house. And if that person wants to drink, like they need to go somewhere else and keep it at their friend's house or like pay their friends. I think that just respects the other person's decision because if you have it around and maybe they are someone who's more on the side of has a problem and really can't control their actions or they're more vulnerable to slipping up out of that habit. I think you just can't keep it around. So I don't know what you guys think. I think there's two components to it. And this was super prevalent for us. And something that like really helped me was firstly, like be understanding to your significant other, like nothing positive comes out of just like immediately getting mad at them for doing something like be understanding, be firm that it's not okay with you, but maybe like just talk about it first. And that's the second point is like communication, like you for so long, where like when I was in college, you were like, oh, he's just getting it out of his system. And then I continue to do it after college. And at a certain point, you know, you, you never gave me like any ultimatums, but it was just continuous communication about it. Like, Hey, this, this doesn't sit well with me. You know, I don't like it, how you act when you're in a different mind state under this substance. Um, but it was all out of a point of like love, you know, if, if you really do love that, that significant other that you're with, then like, you need to be understanding. You need to be there to like help them because breaking any addiction is incredibly hard. And like withdrawal is a real thing. Stress and depression from like during those withdrawal periods are a real thing. So like you really have to be there for them. It's not just something that like you need to stop this and that's that, you know, it's like that it's not that cut and dry. So I think just being understanding and being loving and then communicating effectively as to why you don't want them to do it. So that way it really resonates with them. I would definitely agree with that. And definitely the, how it makes you feel part, because there was a lot of things, if you're say the one drinking or smoking that you don't notice, but the person that's sober, like does take notice because they're there and they're present. And it's like, oh, well you only do X, Y, Z when you're under the influence. And like, 
maybe you're not aware of that, but I'm, I'm there and it does hurt me a lot when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably our biggest thing. Yeah. Cool. All right. I think I can read the next question. Any tips for how to cut back drinking in college? <laughs> this is coming from four people who drank mostly yeah, the entirety of college. I guess like Connor, you kind of had to stop college. Yeah. You kind of had to stop your last semester because that's yeah. when all your health problems happen. What's your best tip? Because you were in a fraternity. Get all four your endoscopies and you don't have time to drink. <laughs> I, I don't think it was like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I stopped for any reason other than yeah. I didn't really have your a force. choice. Yeah. I think you just, I try to find like other ways to hang out with my friend. Cause that's what it comes down to in college. I feel like it's the social like go to, like, it's not a question of what are we doing on Friday night? It's where we're going and where we're going after that. And then after that, and then who's having after bars and it sounds like corny, but it's like, we go to the movies a lot now on like Fridays <laughs> and started doing that. Just going for long walks or going for hikes or taking the dog for a walk or going to do house stuff. I don't know. just seems like that would be a way to just suggest different things to do that are social, that people can enjoy, that doesn't have to involve drinking. I know it's tough because like college definitely revolves around nightlife. I would try to find activities. I feel like a lot of colleges have stuff for this. I don't know. I feel like there are activities that try to move away from drinking every single night. I agree. There's a lot of things that the activity is drinking. Like there's not another activity. The activity is drinking Mm -hmm. in college. And so I think when you zoom out and you're like, oh, not, we can do other things besides just drinking. Cause you can go to a restaurant and not have a drink with it. You can go to top golf and not drink while you're there. You can go have a picnic in the park without a bottle of wine. There really are so, so, so many things to do. But when you've been conditioned to think that what you do is drinking. It doesn't matter if there's another activity around. It can be hard to like look beyond that. But once you stop doing it, you're like, oh my God, there's so many fun things to do. Literally even going on a walk with a friend and like making TikToks and going shopping. And like you said, buying house stuff. But one thing that speaks out, or I remember there was this girl, I won't say her name, but she was in my sorority. And she was like the only girl in our pledge class that didn't drink. And she would always DDS. She was so cute, so fun. Came to like, would come inside, dance around. And she was always just like, yeah, no, I just like don't like to drink. And she was so confident in that she didn't drink that after she stated her ground, like no one questioned it. And everyone was like, dope. We have a DD all the time. Like we have someone who's going to go like get us food after who's going to get us home safe. And it was kind of fun. Like she was always the one playing music and keeping us all in check. So I think if you're authentic to yourself, it doesn't matter. I love that. Yeah. I think if you just give yourself the idea, because it is social conditioning has made it where just drinking is literally a part of everything that you do. And it makes it seem like there's no activities that aren't, aren't going to be able to drink. But if you just like put it into your mind, like, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be really, really, really hard. Like it could be the hardest thing that I've ever done. But when you put that stigma into your head, the first time that you're successful with it, it's going to be like, the biggest shot of dopamine that you've ever had because the reward is that much bigger. You're like, Oh, I didn't just not drink. I, I accomplished this task. That's incredibly, incredibly hard. And once you like get that, you know, it's going to kind of start the habit train that I was talking about earlier, but also like, don't be afraid to be the odd one out. Like if your friends are truly your friends, then they will respect you. And you just have to like, as Allison said, be authentic with yourself and be willing to 
take that leap because everybody's just afraid of what their friends are going to say. Well, if you really think that it's best for you, then your friend should know that it's best for you as well. And they're going to respect that. And that doesn't mean that like stop doing things with them, but it makes it a lot easier if you go and do things with them and they have your back, you know, uh, if they know that you're not trying to drink and you go out to the bar with them, then literally the small act of just not asking if you want a shot goes such a long way, you know? Um, yeah, like we when we used to drink a lot, we I can think of those few guy friends that we had that had been we knew that they were sober because they had had issues, but they would come out with us and us knowing that they were like actively trying not to drink. We weren't going to be like, oh, hey, do you want to do you want to take a shot? Oh, can we get you something and not making them feel awkward or uncomfortable or putting in them in that position? Yeah. And people like we respected that so much. Like, wow, this is so impressive of this individual who had a problem with it, has gone sober, and they're still putting themselves into the most stressful environment possible that would potentially make them drink. Like, I looked at that and I was like, that's a strong ass human being right there. And it literally, like, it might have even been the the initial conceptualization of, like, my curiosity into being sober. So, like, you doing that, you might be helping somebody else as well, you know? And that's a huge part. If you have that that social benefit factor that's built into your decision that it's like, this isn't only benefiting me, it could potentially be benefiting somebody else. Then it makes it that much easier to, you know, take the leap and start, start trying to do at least. Incredible. All right, let's do the next question. How do you deal with feeling restricted? I think playing off what you just said, that was the initial thought, like, okay, I'm removing this thing from my life that I'm so used to, but the way I see it, you're removing literally one thing and you're gaining like a hundred things. You're gaining a clear head. You're gaining like a clean inside out. You're gaining a lack of anxiety, a lack of depression. You're gaining authentic friendships. You're gaining eight hours of sleep a night. Like the list goes on and on. So I don't ever really feel restricted by not drinking anymore. Yeah. I think that ties back into that phrase you said about, about willpower and just like rewiring your brain to think about the positives and not that you're yeah restricting yourself from something. You're gaining so much you're, more. You're excited about all those things you're going to gain. I feel like that's such a good tip. So I wanted to reiterate that because yeah, I just got to, you have to make your brain think that you're not preventing yourself from something. You're like gaining a lot more. One door closes and a hundred doors open. Yeah. It's that ability to switch the way that you're viewing something, which physically can't do until you actually make the, the first attempt to make that change, you know? Exactly. Well, well, any final thoughts, you guys? I think, again, I'm just sitting here now thinking about my relationship. <laughs> Should I go 100% sober? I just tell the line. Um, but again, we're not here to tell anyone what to do. This is just our experiences. We just wanted to provide another two voices on the subject because, yeah, everyone has their own relationship with alcohol and everyone can make that decision for themselves. But just wanted to have that combo. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is like in, in terms of everything that we've said, if you are somebody who drinks or smokes, like you're not a bad person. I think that's mm-hmm. what this conversation is like such a touchy subject because the initial thought is like, oh, you're sober and you think that you have like this superiority complex. It's like, no, I just am, I'm genuinely trying to do what I think is what's best for me. And I don't want to make anybody else try and do what's best for them. Like all you can do as a human being is take in information digest it yourself and make your own opinions and judgments and decisions based on that information. And in order to make that best decision, like you have to gain information from both sides of the equation. So I just want to say like, 
I have all of, uh, everybody that I know essentially like still drinks and I would never view them in any different light now that, you know, I'm, I'm on the sober train. Um, I have the same exact relationship. I talk with them the exact same way. I don't look at them any differently. Uh, so I don't want anybody to think that anybody who's talking about this or, or anybody who is having this conversation, nobody's looking at you differently. Like you're still an amazing human being. You could just potentially make a decision that would possibly potentially end up being like beneficial for you and making you an even better human being. So that was very important. Good wrap up. Yeah. I mean, I would just say the same thing. And at the end of the day, it's, it's your health. And that's the one thing you need to be selfish with. And I think it too often we get pulled in other directions with what's best for, or what other people want from you. Like, I like it when you drink. I like it when you do that. Like, well, I don't like it because I have to deal with it for X amount of days <laughs> after that. Like that's, it's not that I don't want to drink because I don't want to hang out with you. It's that I don't want to drink because I have to wake up in the morning and have that feeling. So I agree with what Clay said. It's not, it, it just, at some point in time, you just have to be selfish with your own health and do what's best for you and not, not, what's best for other people. That's so true. The best thing my doctor ever told me is I went in there after reading like what the best type of alcohol to drink was. And I was like, I read that, you know, wood aged bourbon is the best, the healthiest alcohol to drink. And he's like, no, no alcohol is healthy to drink. Like it all has more (laughs) negatives than positives. And he was like, if you want to drink, just drink, just drink whatever you want. But it's not like, don't try to justify it that this is healthier than the other. It's just not the case. It's all negative, but you know, it's your choice. Yeah, it's all toxins. That's an incredible comment. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we can wrap up this combo, but we're going to keep going. So stay tuned for next week's episode. We are going to continue this conversation with healthy relationships and healthy living, what we eat, how we move our bodies, all that. Yeah. Well, we'll catch you guys next Friday at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, we post the podcast like 4.30 a.m. So for all you early risers, we'll Who see you then. that podcast at 4.30 a.m.? Oh, it's auto. We do yeah, it. Yeah, we schedule oh, it. I was going to no, say, I, it's I not you. I would notice you waking up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Set my alarm. <laughs> no. All right, bye, guys. All right, bye. See you, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Already Friends. It means the world to us that you are listening, liking, subscribing, and following us on Instagram. We are really trying to build up our rating in Apple Podcasts. So if you could leave a review, we are a review and a rating. We are doing a giveaway at the end of the year for AirPod Pros. So Kara is going to tell you how you can enter that giveaway. Yes. So to be entered into this giveaway, you need to leave a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. Go ahead and click five-star, write a little snippet about what you're enjoying about the podcast, and then screenshot that and send it to our Instagram at We're Already Friends. That way you'll be entered. We'll see it. And yeah, we're doing the drawing at the end of the year. So again, thank you for your support. It really means the world to us and it lets us keep doing what we're doing. Yes. Thank you guys so much. We'll catch you next time.